Hello, Heal community. For the first time in nearly a year, I'm opening my practice back up to the general public. I'm actively looking for 10 new qualified clients committed to reversing their illness or health concerns and powerfully taking on their journey to heal. If you're interested in finding out more, go to my website and schedule a free 25-minute phone call. We will discuss what you're dealing with and be sure we are the best fit for each other. Remember, I specifically have expertise in autoimmunity, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, mold illnesses, hormones, and insomnia, but can treat much more. Looking forward to connecting with you. Welcome to Heal. On today's episode, a dear friend and veteran, Eric Watson, shares his heart and personal journey to support the healing of other veterans. He challenges us to answer the question, how do we heal the war out of our bodies and our lives? I'm your host, Dr. Sarah Marshall. The amazing Eric Watson joining me today here on the Heal Podcast, and I'm super stoked about this conversation. And as we were just counting to ourselves before we started the podcast, this has been a conversation in progress since February. So it's been many, 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 many months. And by the time this podcast actually gets released, that was a really long time ago. <laughs> and thank you for making it happen. And it, I'm going to dive right in with the exact sentence that's where my brain went, I have to have you on heel. And we were mm. sitting at my kitchen table and you said, after I completed my time, and I don't even know that you're totally complete with it, but part of your military service, you had to work out healing war out of your body. And that sentence just like rocked my world. And I'm like, I want to talk about that. So mm -hmm. I don't even know what you do, did for the military. <laughs> I don't even know what aspect of it. I just know that you're a veteran, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that you have had a real passion for working with veterans around their own healing journeys and how to come back into the world and into life. And so, like, I mean, that's kind of all I needed to know. And I was like, we have to talk about this on Heal. <laughs> so thanks for being here. Can you kind of just bring us into your world a bit? Sure, sure. Um, so let me just kind of give you the synopsis of the last, like, 20 years of my life. We'll do it in like three or four. I've, I've had to tell the story a couple of times, so I'm getting kind of better at condensing it down. But the background, I think, would help understand like where I'm at and where I'm coming from. Or, and a lot of veterans, that's the real important part of this, right, is really a, an, an insight into the mind of, of the warriors that are now back home. So in right after 9-11, I was pretty motivated, like many young Americans, by that that event. I went down to my recruiter and signed up a couple months later. This was in late 2001. So it was like December-ish timeframe. You know, I'm 22 and I just had a failed business attempt and that perfectly tanked and crashed in a flaming mess. So it opened me up to be like, I, there's something bigger that I really wanted to do. So I went and talked to my recruiter and everyone was doing the exact same thing. So they had what, what then was called the delayed entry program because so many people were coming through. They couldn't you know, get everyone to basic training in time. So they, that delayed me out until 2002 is when I went into the military. The chosen profession that I, I signed up for was, was a counter intel analyst. And you know they, they definitely hyped up that I was going to be some kind of Jason Bourne, James Bond, 
going around in desert caves, something like that, right? And I was idealistic enough and, and patriotic enough that, that that, you know, satisfied the itch that I had to go do something bigger than myself. So I went to basic training in 2002, Texas in 2003, was doing my specialty training. And then I kept signing up for every combat deployment duty assignment that I could get. I was like, send me to Fort Hood, send me to Fort Bragg, send me to every tactical unit that's going out to the desert. Like get me in the desert as quickly as possible. They give you like a wish list when you're in basic training of your top three assignments. And people were picking like Hawaii and Korea and, you know, these kind of plush assignments. And I was like, nope, get me any tactical unit that's going to get me to Iraq or Afghanistan as quickly as possible. Wow. Um, and at the end of my technical training, they kind of tell you, they give you your assignment. And so I opened up my assignment and it's Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wrong kind of sand. That's not the kind no. of sand. So who, what, I mean, this gives you a little bit of insight into why I'm a little odd duck here. It's yeah. like, I'm totally pissed off and irate that I'm going to fucking Hawaii and not yeah. Iraq. Yeah. Like, you get me in the fight. And so they sent me to Hawaii for four years while I sat on the sideline and watched all my friends and all the people that I went through basic training with. I mean, they're, they're sending me pictures of being in Iraq and like, it's not glamorous at all, but it was, it was really hard to come to peace with that decision of just sitting. And I was doing it an assignment at the time that I didn't think was super important. Although it turns out in, in, you know, the, the current events nowadays, it is super important. But at that time, in that context, I was really, it took me two or three years to really just feel like I felt like I was left out. I felt like they're over there doing what I was supposed to be doing. Yeah. And it, it really messed with me for a while. And I, I couldn't let that go. So at the end of my four, four year assignment in Hawaii, I basically told them I'm getting out of the military unless you get me into a tactical duty assignment and send me to Iraq. So in order to keep me in, they had to deploy me. Oh my <laughs> gosh, you are an odd duck, <laughs> Yeah, but I get yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, and that's why I raised my hand. Right. And I, you know, at the, at, through the course of this, this discussion, I really want to talk about like the, 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 the DNA makeup of a lot of these men and women that raise their hands, especially in a time of war, when they know the likelihood of what they're, what they're being asked to do and what they're raising their hand to do. And it doesn't sit well. And, and it's such a dichotomy, right? Because I was, I was feeling so resentful that I didn't get a go. And then a lot of my brothers and sisters, as they're coming back from war, they're feeling really resentful that they did go. Yeah. Right. Because the yeah. shit that they had to go through. So like, as we talk through this, I'm sure we'll touch on some of these, yeah. these things, but I mean, just to give you a background. So yeah. So counter Intel. And I finally, I was able to go to Iraq in 2006. I missed the birth of my third child. I was on a satellite phone coaching my then wife as she's going through labor. And we just got rocketed that day, big time. And I wasn't going to let her know of anything that was really going on, right? Because she's got her, I mean, she's sitting here ready to have our, our third child and I'm gone. And I'm on a satellite phone talking her through how everything's going to be okay. And we just were like, we were in a pretty heavy firefight earlier that day and, and a couple of days before that. So yeah, all, all of that is that kind of catches you up to 
you know, I, I ran around Afghanistan for a little bit as a, as a con, as a soldier. And then I went back as a contractor mm-hmm. as well to do some contract work. So I spent, you know, four or five years going in and out of war zones to, to the point where when at the end of it, you know, at, at the end of it, my, my then wife, I just said like that, you know, this is, we, we probably need to be done. We've got kids to raise. You've been kind of going in and out of the, of the war zone and been, been present, been not present. And so, yeah, that kind of catches you up to where I'm at right now. And now I'm in my forties and I'm like, oh, there's, there's some shit I probably should look at that I've been carrying around for the last, you know, 15 years that I really haven't dealt with. And I've just managed through being insanely productive has been my, you know, neurotic drug, but we all, us as veterans, we all find different escapes. And now I'm starting to force myself to slow down and really look at healing. And that's kind of what brought me, you know, eventually into your path. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. And I know there's, you know, you, you kind of went through like, well, there's four years here and four years here. And in the last, so I know there's like some gaps in there and like the, sure, the world sure. of it, but this piece of how we deal with our wounding and, and what I want to say from my perspective, and you can correct me anywhere is, is I don't have it like just because a soldier goes to war, there's wounding. Cause like fulfillment of who you are is fulfillment of who you are. Like that's, that's the path I'm on. I'm on a path of self-expression being who I am. And I'm, it's, it's very foreign to me. I mean, I was literally raised by a Buddhist pacifist. We weren't allowed to pick up sticks and point them at each other and play around with the concepts of like, and we had a game at school that we called war and I, we weren't allowed to call it that when I went home. So I don't know what we made up some other name that we would like or jokingly it, yeah. use around my mom. So that it wasn't like we weren't playing war, but that's what we called it at school. And yeah. you know, th- that's the world I grew up in. And, and I've quite frankly, somewhat insulated myself in addition to been insulated from, and there was another gentleman that I met, I don't know, a couple years ago who similarly had given his career to the military. And he said something to me that really struck, which was my, if I've done my job right, you don't have any idea what the evil is in the world. And it's because I'm over here in in like, I don't see it. I don't really, you know, and so I can get how it's easy for me to be in my suburban, middle-class, sheltered, Western American, and quite frankly, for me personally, white privilege, female lifestyle going, I'm not really sure that this is necessary that we put so Mm -hmm. much budget towards, but to be honest, I don't know. And I also want to say like that piece of just because someone's a veteran does not mean they're wounded. (laughs) Like they get to say, they get to say what that is for them. And we will never know which things like you had resentment because you didn't get deployed, right? right? Like right. those injuries or woundings to ourselves, our ego, whatever, you have no idea where it's coming from until you start to investigate individual to individual. So I want to like blanketly put that out there. And I'm probably just one of those conversations that I know so little about. I'm going to stick my foot in my mouth. Just call me out and be like, actually, this is more appropriate way of saying it or whatever, you know? And that's the nice thing about talking to not all, but I'll make a blanket statement. Most veterans, we got, we got pretty thick skin. You know that we don't like you if we're not giving you a hard time, if we're not busting your chops in some way, right? Like that's the culture that we come from because we rely on each other so much. So like 
when you're in the suck, as we would call it in the suck, like when you're in a shitty 130 degree dust storm stuck, you know, somewhere and it really just life sucks. You have this like warped sense of humor that you all can like rely on and, and fall back on. And that was the brotherhood and sisterhood that, that I, I came to just adore and love is that everything is sacred and nothing is sacred all at once. Right. Like, and the, and, and going back to your comment about the way you were raised and, you know, I think the way many others are raised, we've got this romantic, this romantic idea of what war is, mm-hmm. right? We see Saving Private Ryan, which is not like, I mean, that, that I still tear up during that, that because it's, it's real shit, right? But we've got this um, romantic idea of what war is. And what I will say, the observation that I made when I first got into combat and like, bullets started flying and mortars are going off and shit like that all of that goes away right like everything you think about war and i'm so glad that the majority of our population in our country has no idea what that is like i i'm so grateful that we live in a country where although we have a huge amount of um, veterans population wise it's pretty low the percentage population right whereas in other countries you've you you're in the conscription army and you're just going to get drafted and go and the civilians are aware of war because they live in it every day because it's actually happening in their actual backyards absolutely yeah the psychology of war for them is a lot closer up whereas like we don't you know we don't have mexico trying to send rockets and then and i'm not making comments about middle east or israel i like i can care less about any of that it's just we live in a very privileged country and when those bullets started flying, my observation was, well, shit, none of that really matters. The only thing that was sacred for me was, one, the, the men and the woman sitting on my left and my right was most sacred. And then two was my life was, sec- was second to that, which is a really interesting dichotomy because if I'm, if I'm only trying to protect my life because it's the most important thing and I'm so afraid to die, then I become a liability to not only myself, but all those that are around me. Mm. So what you learn, and you learn this through basic training, like there's a psychology molding that goes on through basic training and, and all the way through, right? But what, they're, what they need to instill in these people that raise in their hands, these soldiers, is that they're not going to crumble under the pressure and the heat of combat. Right. So what you learn really quickly is that you have to put your life in somebody else's hand and trust they're going to take your life as as just as much or more sacred than theirs. So you kind of got this, I don't know, this safety net of like your life is depending on somebody else and they're depending on you. That also so as beautiful as that is and the romantic part of it just fades away real quick. What that also causes is that you, you become so focused on serving others and it's this service to a greater good, right? The service to the country, service to a flag, service to killing the enemy. So it, there's always these external services that get put in front of us that we're asked to go either protect or eliminate, right? It's either protect life or it's take life. Like really when it comes down to it, that's what we're doing as the military. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of repercussions that, when, when you go through that heat of battle and that pressure that you're put under, there's so much imprinting that goes on. And even those that didn't serve, like basic training imprints on you, your training imprint 
imprints on you. If you have a good or a shitty leader, you know, in your platoon or whatever your element is you're in, like there's a lot of things that happen that will imprint on you that that sets you up for later healing in your life. Well, and like and what it, we know from just neurologic stress is the threat of the stress is stressful. Mm -hmm. So whether, you know, there's a distinct place for our soldiers who get deployed and actually experience combat that, but there's also an impact to the threat of being deployed, the mm -hmm. fear of, or the concern for, or the feeling like they're let other people down inside that. Like, I mean, I can just pull the exact and I'm not an expert in this. One of my favorite things to do on this podcast is talk about stuff I'm not an expert of, but <laughs> here's my commentary is, you know, I, I can hear the exact mindset that is required for the military, for it to work and for it to work for you in, it's not about my life. It's about the lives of others. Well, if you flip that around into everyday relationships, there's another word for that, which is codependency. Yes. Yes. Right. So, so like the very thing that we intentionally turn our soldiers, male and female into to make it work in the military brings them back and puts them into an incredibly susceptible place to not have nourishing relationships that are going to help them work through the healing. It's almost like they just now are right back into a perpetuated, potentially traumatic situation in, cause like that, as soon as you said it, I'm like, well, said another way that's codependency, right. except that right. it's, serving a higher good in the military but when you put someone into civilian life how does that show up and and that's you you hit the nail right on the head because it's it's all about when we come back right it serves its purpose and it's almost like at least the feeling that i got when i was in was that they really understood how to prepare me for the heat and the pressure of battle they they knew the psychology of it they knew the the training exercises they knew to get me in a sleep deprivated state so i would you know i would still be able to function but i would just do it off of muscle memory and it became ingrained like they did all these techniques that got me prepared what they didn't do is they said cool thanks for being you know thanks for deploying thanks for doing this higher, this highest good, this honor, but good luck with your life once you leave, right? And I wish that was a personal, just my own personal journey, but it's not. I mean, we saw the huge campaign of 22 a day, right? Where it was ranging between up to 29, you know, service members killing themselves per day, 29 yeah. at the max, 22 is the average, I pulled the stats before we came on here and it's between, depending on the stats that you want to believe it's 17 to 19. So we are still in the middle yeah. of our service members saying, you know what, it's better that I'm not even here. Yeah. Like, and that's really the, the healing that is, is needed is because our government is so good about training there. They really lack any kind of the, the, the training to D to like decolonize that experience yeah. and then put it to us, right? Like, I just wrote God. down the word like unwinding, like something Unwind. has to get unwound or, or like, okay, we trained you into this. Now we have to train you out, train of, you it. out of it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is where the NGOs are really shining, you know, in our society right now, it's, it's these, and I, I just think they're, 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 most of these are veterans that are healing veterans, but those, that, that have stood up and said, I'm raising my hand for a different, different purpose, right? It's not going into the military. They're saying, 
I'm going to hold space for healing through different modalities. And we could talk about some of these modalities, but the, these um, heroes in my mind are really stepping up and answering the call in a way that is so needed right now. Cause we have over a million Iraq and Afghanistan war veterans. Wow. So there's been over a million service members who have deployed in the last since 2001. So here we are, you know, what, 12 years in, 13 years into the, or sorry, math, math is different. 20, 20 years. 20, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. We're 21 years into this. I was in the army, so I didn't math very well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> They're like, cool. You look like you can carry a lot of weight and shoot a gun. <laughs> you got those shoulders, you know? Yeah. Right, right. They, the air force are good at math, not, not us army guys. I have to make fun of some, some service. Totally. Well, That's I mean, it's too. here we are right in the culture. It's perfect. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you specifically is, so for you, what were the things you are willing to talk about that you have had to heal or you are still at work on? Like what, what was it for you personally? Oh, oof, good question. Let's see. So two main things that were really pivotal for me on my healing journey. One was my relationship internal and external to the feminine was super out of balance. And as you can imagine in the military, it's, it's pretty masculine driven. And I'm not saying male or female, I'm just saying the energetic of the military is highly masculine, right? And you see a lot of the women completely, and I, and I saw some beautiful women, they're still beautiful, coming into basic training not highly masculine. And I would see them years later in my different units and they were, they had a whole different energy to them, right? Yeah. They were very, you know, they just acted different and carried themselves differently. So for me, it was coming into right alignment with my feminine and those beautiful women around me. I was so in balance. And so, and I had to start out first with my mom, because I think that's where a lot of that wounding came from. I may say wounding, I would say just life right? I think every boy's got to some level to tackle the demon of their mom. And a lot of every woman too, it's just a different relationship. And then women with their fathers too. Yeah. Right. Women with their fathers. Exactly. You know, I've got five sisters and I've seen them not dealing with my mom, but dealing with my dad. And I was like, that's funny. And oh yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, so for me, that was the biggest thing. And then it, the military taught me that all of these these goals of what success looks like was so external to me. You know, it was, am I getting promoted? Am I moving up as, as quicker than my peers? Like, am I, have I, de- the deployment, right? We just talked about that. Like I needed, for some reason, I needed that deployment, which I look back on. I was like, I did not need that deployment. I'm glad it shaped me into who I am, but that was a ghost that I was chasing and it was this success and the military provides you a ton of targets to kill. Yeah. Both, both in metaphor, both physically and metaphorically, it's always giving you a target to go after. And I was never satisfied. I just had this hunger that I was chasing until I finally sat to myself and said, I'm, I'm the worthy cause here to to heal and to love and to accept. Like I was just giving out to everyone and serving, quote unquote, serving everyone. But 
I was, I was the last person I would ever serve as myself. So I think those are the two main things that really like had to come into right alignment. So, mm -hmm. I mean, go ahead and ask any question you want from there, but that's yeah. kind of how I set up my healing journey. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds great, but then my brain is like, rebalance the feminine like I don't think you walked out of the military and you're like you know what I need to do today I need to rebalance the feminine so how the hell did you identify that like how did how did you go from like and is there anything you're willing to share about like literally what you were dealing with like did it show up in your marriage did it show up in your career like where was it that you were struggling when you were complete with your service and then how did you then say Cause there's gotta be steps between ending your time in the military and then being like, I'm going to rebalance the feminine. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a conscious thing. I mean, really I had to fail a thousand times mm. at, at my relationship with the feminine to be like, this is not working. You know, I wrote this down in my notes of when I was thinking, and I was like, I don't think I'm going to say this. Cause I don't think I've really said this to anybody, but we're going to just go for it. Because this is one of my most, what I would call before my healing journey, I'd call this my most shameful moment with the feminine. I was, so I was living in Maryland as working as a contractor, you know, working in this space in the DOD. And uh, we were pregnant now with our fourth kid. So I've got five children total. My then wife was, was pregnant with our fourth and she was pregnant, pregnant. Like I'm, I'm, I don't remember, but probably seven or eight months and, you know, I had been going in and out of Afghanistan as a contractor and just coming back and like that, that operation tempo, that op tempo was so high and I was wound so tight. And, you know, what, what, whatever reason couples, I can't even remember the reason that we started getting into it. And I've always been somebody that's like tried to keep my anger under control because my mom had a really big temper. And I always looked at that as something that I didn't want to have. So I suppressed the shit out of my anger. And we were in some kind of argument and we were in the, like, I was getting ready. I think she was about to jump in the shower. She's naked, seven or eight months pregnant. And we start getting into it and she is poking me and poking me. And I'm feeling all of that just anger come up and I'm not controlling it. And I'm like, oh shit, it's, I'm about to go red rum right now. Like, this is not good the way I'm feeling. And, oh, God, I wish I had the, the, the peace of mind at the time to be like, hey, I need to step out for a little bit. But, you know, I, I remember she said something, and, and it doesn't even matter what she said. And I have no idea at this point. And I turned around, and I was like a silverback gorilla. Like, my chest was out. My eyes were giant. I was flexed up. And I was... In that moment, I felt like, and I've never hit a woman in my life, right? But that anger consumed me so deeply that I was about to go after my seven or eight month pregnant wife. She, the look in her eyes when she was so fucking petrified of me, and I've never put that, I mean, like I, I was raised with five sister. I beat the shit out of kids in high school because they didn't treat my sisters right. Like my, my defense of the feminine it's deep, deep rooted in there. And I about turned it on my pregnant wife at that time. And it was a moment that I carried so much shame around after that. I mean, luckily I pulled myself out of that and just got in the car and left. But I mean, I've never been so close to that. And that started giving me insight. So you're asking me like, how do you make those steps by falling down and smashing my face a bunch of times on, yeah. this is not who I want to be. Like, I don't want to do this to my 
to my wife, right, who is carrying my child, and I've got three other kids, you know, in the other room, probably, wherever they were at, and that was a pretty big wake-up call that I was, I was not taking, I wasn't tending my own garden at all, and I still can, I mean, I'm, I'm talking right now, and I'm a little emotional, because although we've been divorced for many years, um, my, my ex-wife and I, you know, I still carry that image around of me just putting the fear of God into her. And, you know, after we, after we divorced, you know, I'm kind of skipping forward a little bit, because that was a, a really big moment for me. After we divorced, I started having partners who were beautiful healing opportunities for me to see how out of alignment I was. And, you know, I, I, I don't wish that I could ever change my life because I really, truly believe my life has unfolded exactly the way it should. And, you know, I, I feel so um, present where I'm at now, but, you know, I wish I would have learned those lessons while I was married, you know, because yeah. that would have had such a different impact and energy on our relationship and our marriage. And, you know, I've, I've had to do a lot of healing around the, the divorce there and, and both sides definitely made that up. But that, yeah, there's things that I've done that I'm not happy about and they serve as reminders now to like this, that's what happens when, when I'm not doing my own work. Yeah. And when I'm externally focused and trying to take care of everyone else and I look at my veterans, you know, I, that, that's my personal story of dealing with some shadow side that, I think we really need that contrast and that shadow sometimes to wake us up and kind of jolt us out of the the ruts that we create for ourselves that aren't working for us, but we've convinced ourselves that it's easier just to follow that pattern than it is to get outside of it and start really getting into those shadows. You know, and I, I think that's a microcosm of when I look at my veterans and I see the suicide rates, I see the addiction rates, right? Like the substance abuse. I see the homelessness rates. Like we've got so many veterans on the street and it's a little bit of a chicken in the egg. It's like, well, are they using, you know, are they using substances to deal with, to numb out the pain and then they become homeless? Or they, did they become homeless? Cause they, they've isolated themselves so much from their guilt and their shame that they need the substances to kind of just even navigate that until it's too much. Like it becomes a really sticky place. And I've stood on the edge of that and looked at that, that kind of chasm. I've looked at that abyss. And luckily I've, I consider myself so blessed and fortunate that I didn't take a step into that abyss, but it, it's a real thing that calls to a lot of us dealing with some of that shit that we deal with. So. Yeah. And when we look at like, what what are those modalities then like what have you seen like where is it safe to do that shadow work yeah it's that i mean that's a really great question and and definitely out of my my expertise too but i'm gonna go yeah. ahead and do a sarah marshall and just talk about things that i'm <laughs> that you're familiar with exactly yeah, yeah yeah not an expert in but i'm passionate about so there there's some great things that are really coming out of the ngo space and the non-for-profit and you know i'm not seeing a lot coming out of the va i think the va has just let us down perpetually and that system is so broken from the top down that there's some good things happening at the lower levels in the VA. And I've got some friends there that are, you know, that have gone into psychology just to try to fix some of the, the, 
available services for the, the, the servicemen and women. So where I'm seeing a lot of support and promise are coming from these alternative therapies. You know, I've got some friends, I, I think the, the canine, you know, friends therapies is huge. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of my veterans that are, are walking around with service dogs specifically. I think they just have an, an, an immense ability for compassion and love that those animals equine therapy. I've got a really good friend here in Salt Lake that has been working and they just bought, I think they just bought the largest piece of private ground in Utah. That's going to be a ranch ground. And it's all for, it's all for veterans to come heal at. And, and the, the horses are at the center of that. I'm seeing a lot of what's coming out of maps right now. Yeah. And they've, you know, just recently, if, if y'all haven't read, go read the New York Times article and a lot of their published material that just recently came out of using MDMA assisted therapies for veterans. Yeah. And they're taking, I mean, on the on the PTSD scale, you know, luckily I didn't find myself too deep in that scale. But, you know, when you're in that, uh, when you're in those high rank scores on PTSD, like that's where the suicidal ideation shows up. That's, you know, where you're kind of at your end of the rope. They're taking, they're moving people in one to three sessions of, of MDMA assisted therapies. They're moving sometimes even off that PTSD scale where they don't even register anymore. Yeah. So one to three times you can go to a therapist, have an intense, but safe. Intense, deep, safe right. process. Right. Yeah. And, and the, the like what the MAPS program, and I forgive me that I don't remember what the acronym stands for, and maybe you do, but I, mm-hmm. do you well, happen to know? Plenary Association of Psychedelic Study. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, their work as a whole in, in the specific work for, va- for veterans and in PTSD and addiction therapy, but also just their stand to create a viable and legit research facility so that we can actually start to move these, what used to be very fringe, literally underground only available therapies. I mean, right now it's predominantly MDMA, but there's also clinical trials now being taken back on about psilocybin. And then, you know, it may branch out from there that is very much in the mainstream clinical, well-studied scenario where they're actually able, because one of the things that not always, but can be missing in the underground ceremonies that still do good and they provide for people is there's not a structure for integration. There's not a structure for community after these ceremonies and these experiences. And that can be I'm trying not to use the word dangerous, but it is a little bit, you know, like it can be be. not as beneficial than, you know, to really make sure that you have that structure, which you would in a therapeutic setting. It's like you actually have the MDMA journey that you do with somebody in the room who's a guide and they know how to help move through different difficult spaces that might come up for somebody and how to get that energy properly moving through your body and the emotions properly moving through your body. And then afterwards, there is a series of work that creates the integration, you know, work that happens after those kinds of experiences. And that's so invaluable to the process. And that's what I love about what in particular the MAPS programs are creating is a standard for that. Because we haven't had a therapeutic standard, you know, when all of the research got suppressed 
from 1975 to 2005, you know, they're just, everything went underground and there were actually underground standards. Like you could find yeah. them in groups because <laughs> it mattered to still create those standards, but it was just really tricky. So this is a huge win as a whole for this area in particular, but then a lot more than that. And, and addiction, you know, the addiction component to it too, we find actually gets significantly unwound using MDMA or psilocybin or those kind of medications. Yeah. And a lot of my vets are using substances and, you know, the easiest substance to use is alcohol, right? Like that is the, that is the most available drug of choice for, for us. And, and I've really looked at that and my relationship with alcohol because I, you know, it's that unfortunately, and, and many of these other substances that are highly addictive are working on different parts of our nervous system that are already messed up from the PTSD that we have. Yeah. And we're getting further traumatized. We're not unwinding like you, the word you used. And, you know, I, I just, I find the argument of people saying, well, it's illegal and it's a drug. I'm finding that argument just carries less and less weight because of maps, but also because like you tell me that you would morally feel better telling a veteran to go drink himself into the gutter with, with a bottle of, you know, the cheapest vodka you can get off of the liquor sh- shelf. And, you know, he or she is completely disassociated from the trauma, which gives a little bit of reprieve, but there's no healing going on. And in and fact, the- it can be going in the other direction. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you, so I, I just don't think that there is a, a valid argument anymore when we've got the data that's coming out of these, these trials and these studies to say that we're, we're starting to unwind yeah. a lot of the, the trauma that happens to our, our veterans in a much more healthy way where they can actually deal with and cope. It's a, it's a, it's a tool in their toolbox now versus something that just disconnects them from their life. Yeah. But, but I understand why they're doing the disconnecting too. And I don't judge it. And I, 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 I still honor that decision that they have because sometimes dude, that's like all you can do to not to make it through another day is just to get out of that pain that you have. And yeah. I just, I want to raise the awareness or be a voice because there's many voices right now out there of raising the awareness that there are other ways that we can heal our, our veteran, our war wounds out of our bodies and become whole again, or at least on the path to wholeness. There's ways of doing that, that, that are going to be healthy, not only for our veterans, but for their families, their spouses, their friends. Well, and that's, I mean, that's just like, my brain is running in like nine different directions right now. Cause I'm like, I want to talk about this and this and this and this, (laughs) but is we're highlighting veterans and I want to, it's important. And it's important to specifically talk about these populations that, that are not served and are not getting, you know, that support. But yet I think anybody can find themselves in this conversation, which is, you know, I've actually just recently started engaging in, you know, I've been in a year long entrepreneurship business course and it's the most unbusiness business course ever, but it's like, cause the whole course is about, am I living true to who I really am? And I'm, is my soul's purpose being fulfilled in all areas of my life, but in particularly the way that I do business. And basically is my business in a spiritual alignment? Like are my ethics and my spiritual ethics in alignment in my business? That's a big Mm -hmm. question to tackle. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So we were looking at this. One of the things that came up at the last conference 
was to confront we, and I'll speak for myself, were a room of successful driven people mm-hmm. and to get that that was our addiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, we can, we can judge and we can point to the other and, and even bring victimhood and pity into a conversation that I don't want to introduce that either. Cause it's really easy to be like, oh, veterans, we've really yeah. failed yeah. them. Like gross. Yeah. Like that's like, yeah, we, and no, we like, hate that too. Yeah. Right. I mean, it, and it's like, but actually I think personally, a lot of what we don't want to deal with is the mirror that smacks us in the face about all of it is the, the seeing ourselves in that. And I've already started reading more of Gaber Mate's work, and he's one of the leading experts on addiction and trauma in the world. Mm-hmm. And he also, interestingly enough, is a huge proponent of the utilization of psychedelic medicine and shamanic sacred medicines in healing addiction and trauma and how we're all traumatized. And if you just look at what society is dealing with as a whole everywhere, the degree and, and, and like, I can't say we're more traumatized as human beings today than we have been throughout the millennia of slavery and indentured servitude and the dark ages, which we right. just let that roll off our tongue, but the dark ages were called the dark ages because they were dark time <laughs> to be a human being. And yet there's something happening now that now this is my like spiritual soapbox that I have no actual expertise, except my own heart and truth, I which is it. I really do believe that we are on a precipice of human evolution where there's, there's like, there have been marked times where we cross over a threshold. We go from living one way to another. Human autonomy was one of those thresholds. The first industrial revolution, which really Mm -hmm. we've had four industrial revolutions now. And the last one was only 35 years ago and it's happening faster. So we're crossing another threshold. And I think one of the things that's happening right now, and I know this happens in people's individual bodies as they heal the healing process brings the suck to the surface. It brings the, the grossness that you get boils, you get diarrhea, you get vomiting, you get skin outbreaks, literally things come to the surface in order to finally come out. And I think that some of the intensity of what we're seeing in society is because we're hiding less and there's less going on behind the curtain and there's more happening out in front and it's going to like look worse before it gets better as we're facing our truth we're facing our limitations we're facing you know the rampant level of addiction throughout our country and that a huge amount of that addiction came out of properly prescribed pharmaceutical use Mm-hmm. with no end game, the same way we had no end game for our veterans when they return, the same way that we have no end game for lots of circumstances, for our, even our sports athletes. You know, we worship our athletes as long as they're on the field playing. Right. And you look at the concussion rate and the brain trauma and the, you know, head injuries and the physicality of what many pro athletes go through and where their bodies and their lives are at after they leave the arena. Oh yeah, look, I mean, look at Michael Phelps is a great example, right? The most celebrated, most medals ever won by any kind of, or any Olympian. And the moment he stops competing, he falls into a deep, deep depression that he's been very honest about. And like, I'm, I'm so glad that there are people that are willing to tell their story about what this looks like so we can start 
as as consumers of this information, we can start deconstructing like and seeing and and I love the way you said it, is see ourselves in these stories. Yeah, I want people to see themselves in the veteran stories. I want them to see the stories in the the addict or in the athlete that you know is a millionaire but the most unhappy person they possibly could be, right? Because it that's not. I mean, as humans, we're just designed for this greater purpose of connection and that connection we've been sold that that connection is external to us, which is ironic and, and, you know, not, not to like bring religion too heavily in this, but I think where religion has done us a disservice is told us a story about our, our salvation is external to us trying to wave the other hand, you know, trying to, trying to get us to look over here when the whole time, we were our own savior the entire yeah. time, right? Yeah. We had our own ability to heal ourselves. We ha- we came here with all, and I'm going to get on a spiritual soapbox for a hot minute. We came to this, this life with all the tools that we needed. We've just forgotten and we've chosen to forget to some extent. And now we get to use each other as these beautiful, useful mirrors, whether it's a veteran mirror or an athlete mirror or for you, in your medicine, spiritual bridging mirror, like there's so many awesome ways that we can look at ourselves and be like, yeah. Well, and you were just saying like (laughs) that piece where we have, we are our own saviors and we have an internal capacity. And this is like big time. What I do with my clients around chronic illness Although not all of my clients who come to me are dealing with chronic illness. Some of them are in other circumstances around. I don't do a lot of addiction work because it's not my expertise, but that comes in to play with some of what my clients are dealing with. I've more worked with people on the back end where they're through the acuteness of it, but then it's like healing the opiates all the way out of their body because that long-term opiate use had an impact on their digestive tract and on their immune system and on their nervous system and on their adrenal glands. And so I have done a lot of that work with people when they're pretty reliable for no longer utilizing those substances in their life, but that there's this recovery process to have happen. And when I work with people, always my foundation of all the work I do isn't about some perfect diet or some therapeutic protocol, like I have those as tools, but the core of everything I do is about generating awareness where we haven't been willing to look. Yeah. And that, as far as I can tell, like this whole podcast, I mean, I started it inside of an inquiry. Like what does it actually take to heal? Like really, you know, like I'm, I'm sick of all of the Instagram before and after pictures and the 30 day, you can drop 10 pounds and all of the like, the shiny stuff. It's like, I don't want any of that. I want the real deal. I want the root. I want to actually have my life and myself and my heart and my mind shift and stay in this new place. And the only thing I found is the common theme throughout all of it is anything that grants you access to heightened awareness, self-awareness, whether it's personal growth, development, meditation, um, spiritual paths, psychedelic medicine, community, just being in the reflection of other people. I mean, just that simple adage that you weigh within 20% of the pounds of the five people you spend the most time with, your fitness is within 20% the level of the five people you spend the most time with, and your income is within five, 20% of the five people you spend the most time with. So if you wanna be richer, fitter, and more healthy and thinner, 
find people to hang out with that have those qualities that you're looking for. And the same thing goes with mental health. Like when you're, but that's hard to do because we have a tendency to go the other way where, you know, they say misery loves company. And we're often in community groups where there isn't anybody that we know that has that level of health or happiness or well-being that we're looking for. And so that's where group causes, NGOs, you know, community oriented, I think makes a huge difference because it gives people a chance to get into communities of like-minded individuals, people who've maybe dealt with similar things where they can get that mentorship and they can start to actually safely find their way through generating that awareness. That's what I see. No, I'm, I'm right with you. I think community is, is the gateway it's not this it's not the serum right it's not the the antidote for our disconnectedness but it is it's a beautiful gateway to get us into like when i go hang out with my veterans i'm like oh i'm home this this is home again but then i've started having this other community of of like you know folks that want to wake up and and really deal with the hard shit and look in the shadows and heal right i'm like oh but they feel like a lot like my veterans, like they don't cuss and swear as much and they're not as, you know, <laughs> irreverent, but you know, a lot of them are, you and I've had some good conversations. Here. <laughs> but my point is, is that even with this, these groups and, and, you know, surrounding ourselves with people that we want to be do, when it comes down to it, it's like, who's the person that I'm looking at in the mirror? And am I comfortable with that person? And it's not just, like, we can't just say, am I comfortable with the person I'm looking at? Like, it's either a yes or no, but we have so many different aspects of us that I was not even aware of, right? Like, my identity was built around being a provider, like, in the masculine, the unbalanced masculine. My identity was built around being a provider for everybody, right? I had to make enough money. I had to have an income. I had to provide the house. I had to provide the safety net, right? And then everyone else wanted you know, whether it was in my church activities, they just wanted so much from me. And if, if I'm not giving to myself and healing myself, all of that just depletes real quick, right? Yeah. And the masculine in, in, in its unbalanced just wants to give and give and give because that's a, that's a really familiar role that we're in. And it's really difficult for us to rebalance our feminine and saying, what do I need? Yeah. Like, what does my intuition tell me right now? What is, what, does this align with me? Like, does this career decision, does this drinking my third drink in the evening, does it align with me? Does the food that I want to cook for dinner align with my body? Like that, those are really challenging questions for the, for me as a masculine, that took me a lot to kind of shift that into where I, I wanted to rely more on my own knowing. Yeah. that I wanted to on what somebody thought I should be doing. Yeah. And, and that's really where the healing journey started for me is I started trusting myself more than the people around me, the group I was in. It's all these external factors, right? So yeah, yeah I, I love what you're saying. And I, and I totally agree with it. And then, and then I would just put an and I would connect to what you're saying is once you get into these gateways of community and, and, and reflections and mirrors, like, are you willing to go look at that part of you in the mirror and say does this align with me is this part of my knowing and that's really hard to do especially for the masculine until 
they start to rebalance themselves in, in allowing that feminine into them, which it sounds weird when you say it. My veterans, if they, I mean, I got a couple buddies that if they heard me say that right now, they'd be like, pussy, uh-huh. fuck, right? <laughs> but, but my message to them is you are so much more than this, the external story. Sorry. Yeah. That's where I get emotional because I know what they're going through and they are so much more than what they've been told they are and the targets they've been told to go follow, whether it's an enemy or whether it's their career or whether what it is, they are, they have so much more to them to offer and we need their warrior spirit back into our society. Like, cause we're missing that right now. We're telling everybody, oh, microaggressions and, you know, okay, yes, the imbalanced masculine can be very destructive at times, right? But we need our warriors to come back home and to heal so they can be these, these safeguards in our society because I don't, I don't care what you say, you, you need warriors in your society. And some will say, well, a warrior is just a shadow of an archetype. And my answer to that would be, you haven't seen what happens when a warlord takes over and starts raping and killing children. You haven't seen what cartels do to young kids because they are a a commodity to make money to sex traffic. Like, tell me that you don't need a warrior when these people come into your village or your city and we're so insulated in the United States. I've been all over the world and I've seen this in Southeast Asia. I've seen it in right across our border. I've seen this firsthand, right? We need these warriors to come back home and answer the call to come back home and hold space because when this shit hits your neighborhood you want them to be the people that are going to you know stand up and say fuck no not on my watch but right now they're so like either our society has rejected them or they've rejected their own knowing their own this own rebalancing so coming home to me is like heal heal this imbalanced masculine allow the beautiful feminine part of you into your life heal the feminine relationships you have be home we need them home yeah absolutely and like i mean i don't have the reference point from a protection from these acts of violence that are possible which they still are happening here inside the country even though where we've been insulated from them and they're not the same as they are in other countries but we still have it here too But I even think about it on a much more personal level to myself, which is I've sat around with some glasses of wine and a bunch of ladies who are all like, oh my God, what's the deal with men these days, right? But then when I'm around, I can feel it when a man comes in the room who's military. And I, my, my inner feminine is hungry for it. I'm like, yeah, hello. And there is something there about that that, when it is in balance and it's healthy and that man has come into his own warriorness for himself, whether he's military or not, what that provides in what we need, like this whole conversation that's happening, which is amazing about the other side as we move through the racism conversation, as we move, I don't know if we ever will, but where we are is in what I hear is in honoring our differences and the beauty and diversity of how great we are because we're different. And that comes right at home in the masculine and the feminine. And, and when I'm with 
even as a, I mean, when you and I are in the same room and you're just there, there's a presence that you bring that is because you're a warrior that is so enriching to me to drop deeper into my feminine, to relax, to actually feel safe. And in today's society, for many women that I know, we've gotten so accustomed that we have to provide our own protection and boundaries. We have to do our own providing financially and in terms of how our lives go. And I'm not diminishing at all the capacity of women, but I do know in my own work around relationships, when you get into those higher levels of spiritual evolution, where you have an extremely strong, healthy, well-adapted masculine with a strong, healthy, well-adapted feminine, watch out world. Those are power couples, whether it's gender, two men or two women, or any version of gender, that's not the point. It's the embodiment of the energy dynamic. And there's even times where I love stepping into my masculine. I, I mean, it's, I thrive and I'm a little bit of a productive success junkie over here. Some of it is escapism. Some of it is just my authentic self-expression of, I love to make a difference. And I love to see the rewards of that. And I also do really well when there are times in my day, if not whole aspects of my life that I can drop fully into my feminine and there's another energy or entity that actually is providing that masculine container. And that's even more of what's possible as we heal our warriors and we allow them. And it's not about healing the warrior out of them. No, no. not at all. It's actually empowering that warrior to have its position in society and in our lives in such a way that like, I mean, I, I, I'm like, where's the box on the dating app where I just get to say only military (laughs) (laughs) from that sense of like what that provides in that, that realm in particular. And, and there is a lot of shadow to it. And there is a lot of injuring that we haven't made that transition for coming home too. I mean, and, and you can again, reflect on that, like from my viewpoint, but it's just something as a woman that I experience where I'm like, I'm hungry for that energy and the difference that that providership and that protection and that confidence, not from a fit, but from that deep heart, heart confidence. Right. Yeah. If you got to tell somebody you're confident and you're a warrior, you're, you're, you're probably lying to yourself and others, right? No, I, I, I love what you're saying, Sarah. And this is the, the revelation to me that I never knew, right? Because, you know, my, my archetype that I've followed was my father and he was like, work as hard as you can provide as well as you can and let everything else just figure itself out. Right. Well, like I did check, I checked that box, you know, I, I, I helped run a very successful company. You know, I've, I've done a lot of things and they didn't provide me what, and, and the feminine around me didn't trust me. They didn't feel relaxed around me. Right. Like they didn't fully like, yeah, they knew I was going to keep them safe and protect them physically, but like emotionally too. What about that? Right. Yeah. I think what you're hitting on is, is really, you know, the last year that I've been on this healing path has been that all of a sudden these women are like, I have a whole new relationship with all these beautiful women and it's not driven off of sex. It's not driven off of like my need to procreate in some biological like driver. It's my need to be around them because I, and you, you, you said it perfectly, right? I think the divine masculine, the, the, the balanced masculine provides a container that allows 
alchemy to happen inside of that. And they're not, they're not allowing it as in like, I give permission. It's a natural consequence. Right. It just happens. Right. And these, these women just show up as like, holy shit. Like I've never seen some of the beautiful, powerful women in my life just show up for themselves and fucking magic. And I'm like, just looking at it like, oh, is this what it means? All I had to do is sit here and, you know, believe in them and not dominate and just sit back and like, just be, that's all I had to do. And this like magic show just opens up in front of me. So I didn't even realize that was a possibility until I came back into my own masculine and feminine balance. And then, you know, I got to witness women like you and many others that are just, just blow my mind. And I'm like, oh, that's what this is about. Like I could have been doing this the entire time. <laughs> Shit. Okay. Yeah. I'm here though. I'm here and I'm here and I'm, I'm taking notes and I'm paying attention. Cause I like this. I like this classroom. This is yeah. a great classroom. Yeah. Awesome. Oh my gosh, Eric. Thank you so much for everything that you've shared. And can I plant a seed? I know it's not very formalized, but you're actually pulling together programming to support veterans. Yes. I am. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's very much in the free form stage. So we'll just leave it as a seed planted at this point. There's not a website to direct us to just yet, but uh, I know it's definitely a calling for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's gotta be right. You know, you you don't want to put something out there that, that uh, falls on its face. So I'm going to let it fall on its face with people like you and really close veterans. I want to fail about a hundred times and then let this thing hatch out to be whatever it's going to be. But yeah, it's, I've, I would be remiss to go through the journey that I have gone through and not, and feel so grateful that I got the opportunity to, to heal out these visible and invisible wounds and then not have that be available to, you know, people I care about so much. So yeah, we're going to do this thing. We're going to, we're going to do it, but I don't, I don't know what it's going to look like. That's perfect. Yeah, good. Well, we'll have you come back when it started to take form and shape and share about what that is and in a future date. And I just, I so appreciate you and our friendship and all the things you've shared with me. I mean, I, I've had a couple other people post-military in my life that have started to open me up to a place where like, I mean, I used to have this conversation of like, I just don't believe in evil in the world. And I, I still hold on to that in a particular lens. I'm very clear that there are actions that I can't comprehend. I, I personally, and this is my spiritual journey, have a hard time actually ever thinking that there could be a human being in front of me that I would look in their eyes and say, you don't deserve to live. You're just an evil human. Like I, that's not who I am as a spiritual being, but I'm clear that there are evil energies that run through humans and that there's a better way for me to say it is there's traumatized humans who are existing in exerting their trauma out to the world. And yet I'm also clear that I have a tiny little viewpoint into that. And as I've met people who've come back from more and I've met people who've come back from circumstances that I can't even literally can't even comprehend. I'm just humbled and I'm willing to stand in the place that I don't know. And I'm grateful that I don't know because you have done it. And so thank you for that. And thank you for the difference you've made in my life and in the lives of so many people, not just even in this country. You know, it's, it goes in many, many, many ways more than just about protecting Americans. It's not, that's not no. even what our military is up to. No, no, it's, mm-hmm. it's a lot, it's a lot bigger than that for sure. And, and thank you. And I, I honor you and adore you. And thank you so much for having me on and 
hopefully those that are listening can see themselves in a, in a part of this and find, find a gold nugget in there for them somewhere, go look in the mirror and say, what, what do I want to, what do I want to shift today? What do I want to grow today? What do I want to heal today? And it's just, I mean, that's the joy of life is trying to figure out these little things. So appreciate you having me on. Awesome. Well, all right. I think we should call that a wrap. Yep. We could call it a wrap for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you to today's guest, Eric Watson, for his powerful stand for others. For all the resources of today's show, visit sarahmarshallnd.com backslash podcast. Special thanks to our music composer, Roddy Nickpour, and our editor, Kendra Vicken. And as always, thank you for being here. We'll see you next time.